You're listening to the Food Freedom Life Podcast. My name is Brittany Allison, and I spent six plus years stuck in diet binge cycles, hating my body, and envying others who seem to have it all because I never felt enough. What I discovered in my journey to food freedom and becoming a registered dietitian is this. You can either live your life at war with your mind or learn to work in sync with it. So if you're ready to learn how to be in tune with yourself and evolve your life, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Today, I wanted to talk to you a bit more about shame as well as the shame spiral and what that really means, how it's keeping you stuck in binge and emotional overeating and what it looks like to actually practice acceptance and living shame-free in the here and now. We're gonna get into some tangible steps that you can also take to move out of shame and into intentional acceptance that will benefit you in your food freedom journey and beyond and just in other parts of your life too because shame is, it's huge. I hear it so often, it's such a strong emotion and I genuinely believe that healing your relationship with food and your body, it requires a process over time of putting together a toolbox and a support system that works uniquely for you. And so I'm hoping that today, you'll get some tools and some awareness that you can maybe spend some more time reflecting on later, either journaling or talking to somebody about it or just thinking about it while on a walk or laying in bed or something, just thinking about how you can apply what we talk about this week for you. What does that look like? Because when we're talking about moving into a place of change, especially with something as heavy as shame, we know that for change to be successful, it really has to be small and gradual which is one of the hardest things for somebody who struggles with an all or nothing mindset to accept. And so as we talk about this, I want you to just really think of maybe one part of what I'm talking about that resonates to you and apply that to your life. A lot of women who struggle with binge and emotional overeating, they're high achievers, right? So they're leaning more towards type A, they have high standards for themselves. And so they pour so much into every single day trying to manage their challenges. And there's this real myth out there that in order to live well, you have to manage your eating and your exercise and self-care perfectly. And that can take a lot of time and mental energy because guess what? You, you can't. There's no such thing. And that is just life. But I find the women that I work with, you know, in the hopes of living a satisfying life, they feel like if they can take the route of trying to fix their brain and fix their symptoms, that maybe they can feel the way they think they should feel when everything is together. But too often they wait and they wait and they wait. And, you know, when I get organized, when I improve my time management, when my productivity changes, when I, whatever else, then I'll start to live. Then I'll take that class that I want. Then I'll start working out more regularly. Then I'll feel good about myself. The thing is, that is so backwards. Life doesn't work that way when we look at change from a place of self-criticism and shame. We're rarely able to make the changes we want and truly support our brains to the best of our ability when we're coming from that place. And so in order to live this life of food freedom, you have to stop trying to fix yourself with strategies that are just putting band-aids on bullet wounds and strategies that don't take into account the fact that you are a whole person. Our brains and our bodies are an ecosystem and we can't really fully separate all of that. And so the way I approach this is in a way that considers the whole person instead of just managing binges. It's not just those treatment goals, it's also more in depth. Things like, am I able to express and use my voice effectively in relationships and ask for what I need? Am I able to put myself out there in social situations and go on a weekend trip with friends to the beach without being buried in anxiety? Am I able to pursue some of my dreams and passions and improve my self-care? Am I able to do these things? And so let's get into shame. I like to think of your relationship with food like an iceberg and what we see is only the top and even that is very minuscule. So if you're a woman who experiences binge and emotional overeating, you've probably experienced a fair amount of shame over the years. And I think that comes from years of messaging. 
Shame is one of our early emotions. We experience it as toddlers even. And so we have this whole lifetime's worth of shame experiences to build on and pull from in our memories. And it's like we're experiencing it again in this moment. And so shame can be kind of sneaky and creep up from the past and get triggered in the present very easily because it goes back a really long time. And shame ultimately is fear of unworthiness. And this is a universal human experience. But if there's one thing I hear from women who struggle with food issues, it's like they they feel like they're too much and they're not enough at the same time. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel good enough. And that can really get in the way of being happy, of being content, of pursuing their interests and self-care. And yes, even doing things that support their bodies and their relationship with food. Shame is a huge part of binge eating and emotional overeating and the experience of it all that we really need to be talking about. Women who struggle with their relationships with food and their bodies also talk a lot about loss. Lost finances, right? They've spent so much money on diet and exercise programs, coaches, special low-carb food that's outrageously expensive, diet pills, buying new clothes, Uber Eats when they're binging, maybe lost goals, lost dreams, a lot of what it could have been if quote unquote, I'd achieve that body, as well as what's lost from not putting aside the hyper-focus on the body and realizing that you can do these things just as you are right now. I hear that a lot. It comes with a lot of loss and that requires some grieving, some act of grieving these these relationships and these dreams and these fantasies of what life would have been like if I just could have had that body or if I never went down that dieting path in the first place. Both of these things exist and it creates a lot of self-doubt and self-doubt is probably one of the biggest pieces that sabotages us really moving forward in our healing process and really making strides in our relationships with food and our body. And you probably know it very well. It's very, very sneaky. And it comes from this history of struggling with diets, right? They inevitably fail, which has nothing to do with you, but we're taught that it's our fault. And that steeps into other areas of life too and creates this fear of failure that when we're faced with a task, we can really start doubting our ability to do it. And we develop this story of I can't. And that story of I can't becomes self-sabotage. And this comes up a lot too, this rejection sensitivity, which can be a part of ADHD, but it can also come up a lot when you have these adverse experiences from when you were young around your body and being bullied about your weight, being the quote unquote fat friend or having a parent that was dieting or always talking about their body, or even if they commented about your weight. This rejection sensitivity comes from a long history of real and perceived rejection. And that can really dampen your sense of confidence about being worthy and keep you stuck in this dieting loop. And so prior experiences of being rejected or being othered or being judged or laughed at, that builds up over the years to the point where as an adult, you're anticipating rejection even when it's not there. So that might mean that your friend says something and you become overly defensive because you sense something bad, some sort of rejection. You know, your friends are laughing at something and you assume it's about you. Your boss calls and wants to talk to you and you assume you're fired, right? I've also found that people who have dieted for a long time and have this disordered relationship with food tend to idealize what typical functioning with food looks like and tend to have a distorted lens of what is average or normal. And they see themselves through this lens of deficiency. They look at everyone else around them as being highly successful. And so there's a distortion in that comparison. And I think that that can also lead to you know, expectations of people who struggle with food issues that they have of their own performance being unnecessarily high and then struggling to use their voice or asserting their own needs to say no, to set boundaries and to say help. And that has to do with this lived experience of focusing your worth around your body and the shame from not being able to lose the weight and keep it off and all the stories from our society that come with that. 
And all of this is a huge setup for having a life that is totally zoned in on trying to fix the symptoms, manage the symptoms every day. But that really neglects all of the things that perpetuate the problem and the beliefs behind the patterns as well. I tried for me, versions of not fixing myself before, right? It's like, oh, okay, maybe if I don't try to fix myself, then I'll I'll fix myself. But, you know, obviously always with the secret hope that not fixing myself would fix me. You know, I think this is a really hard part of living with a dysregulated relationship with food is that you're trying to find a fix in a world that only presents solutions that actually perpetuate the problem. And then recognizing that, at least in your mind, that you need to surrender to the reality that this is not something that needs needs to be fixed. It's something that you need to unlearn and really heal from so you can find your way back to how you're really supposed to be with food and your body. The secret is that there's no big secret, right? And yet it's also okay to struggle with this this idea, this concept over time. It's okay to have periods where you wish you could fix this. You wish it would just go away. That's okay. That's honestly part of it it's moving, that is moving forward. However, more and more into a space of reminding yourself that people don't need fixing, perhaps more support in functioning in a way that's aligned with them, right? But not a fix. And in gaining some self-compassion in terms of how you begin to approach managing your challenges, that is so important as well. And so let's get into this shame spiral. I know I keep mentioning shame and then I kind of get sidetracked, but all of these things are pieces that contribute to the shame that you might feel on a daily basis. And for people who have been in the diet cycle, this is a very common experience that you're very familiar with is the shame cycle. And it's also one that can completely derail a day and an entire week. So for somebody with body image issues and a negative relationship with food who, let's say, maybe took a picture of themselves that they hated, or they ordered Uber Eats again, or they engaged in a late night binge, or maybe their mom commented on their body or what they're eating. For somebody with these challenges around food and their body, the I took a bad picture can quickly spiral down into I'm never going to like the way that I look and I'm a failure, right? So notice that we went from the picture to I am. And when we make these declarative statements, they're very powerful in terms of our belief system. So we really need to be careful about what we put after the two words, I am. When we say I am a failure, I am bad, we're triggering a downward spiral. How many times has that happened to you? And then you've started to think other thoughts like, I'm not good enough. Why can't I just get this right? I'm such an idiot, right? And it spirals down. So what's happening is that we're having all these thoughts that are shame-based and they're saying, they're screaming, you're not good enough, you're not okay. And then we get a flood of emotions and our emotional brain kicks into gear. And our brain is very protective of us because we have this lifetime of experiences that felt emotionally unsafe or invalidating or dismissive or critical. So our emotions start to amp up and they come from a place of basically fight or flight, right? Our emotional brain says protect. And then we react to that situation. Something as small as making a decision to have dessert after lunch. We react with this guilt and shame as if it's this huge real threat to our entire being, to our worth, to our value. Maybe we go into catastrophic thinking and so we keep derailing. And as we do that, we amp up our emotional brain. When we have a shame trigger happen and we have the thoughts and we have the feelings, typically we engage in some sort of coping behavior. And if we're not intentional, these coping behaviors tend to be something that's very self-sabotaging like emotional overeating or binge eating or other self-defeating behaviors things like shying away from putting yourself out there with dating because maybe at one point you had a partner who is really body focused or you've internalized the messages from diet culture about what a partner wants in a body. We start to pretend that 
you know, we have it all together to the outside world while also internalizing all these things. And then it turns again into emotional eating, suppressing how we're feeling because of all this emotional restriction. It's actually this huge cascade of thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and they all get in the way of dealing with the root and creating these sorts of experiences that just move us through our lives. And before we get into how to do this differently, I want to talk about these behaviors a little bit. I want to see if you can recognize yourself in any of them. Hiding is probably the most famous coping skill I know of women with negative relationships with food in their bodies. They hide. And it's not just physical, although they certainly isolate and pare back activities, but they hide also by being inauthentic. They hide by eating in secret. They hide by telling white lies or not sharing the full truth, not eating or ordering what they want in front of other people. They hide by pretending that they're doing okay when really they're not. They hide their bodies by wearing baggy clothing or sitting with a pillow on their laps. And it's pretty exhausting to pretend every day, right? And also life is hard enough. And then we add this compulsion to hide, to essentially show up in the world as if we don't have these challenges when we do. It makes the work of supporting ourselves even harder. It feels pretty impossible. And I think a lot of women with food and body image issues also struggle a bit with even identity because you've been dieting and focusing on your body and putting your worth in your body for so long. It's like, who am I? And so there's another piece that leads to a lot of other avoidant behaviors. When we feel shamed because we aren't meeting these body standards and we feel like we don't know who we are, we might pull back or try to self-soothe or not deal with it at all, not deal with our emotions. Maybe that looks like Netflix binging. That looks like binging on food or even drinking, maybe canceling plans with a friend who's actually really supportive and maybe you'd have a good time with, right? Things like that. We start to avoid to not deal with our feelings. It leads to, I can't because I don't, right? So I'm sitting here, I'm struggling, I'm not good at all, it's hard every time. But what we know is that the antidote to shame is connection, right? And so when the shame spiral leads us to these patterns of behavior that disconnects us from people that we love or from sharing or from using our voices, from reaching out for help, and the people that probably want to help us, we decrease our opportunities to have these shame stories rewritten. We reduce the opportunity for corrective experiences. I have the awareness, I get it, but healing is not really about knowing, right? It's about regulating, it's about the doing. And so I want to address the how, because I think all the awareness in the world is important and it's great, but without action, it's really just a thought. So if we look at what we know about change, right, there's an equation and it starts with awareness because you can't change something that you don't know exists or that you're not aware of or that you're not present to in the moment. But you also have to move through a period of acceptance. You have to greet your reality on its own terms and say, yes, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what the situation is in order to move into action, right? And that other step is accepting that things can be better that they're not better right now and that you can't change that or you can't change the past. You can't change and control every single aspect of the situation. You can't get rid of the fact that you are where you are in your relationship with food or the weight where you're landing at right now, right? However, you can move into change from a place of value, of guided action, knowing what's most important to you and as a person, what you most need in order to thrive. So it really starts with awareness and this acceptance of where you're at and where you've been to really increase introspection and so that we can navigate similar situations as we move forward. Because oftentimes the past has created some automatic reactions that show up in our present relationships and lives now. And so we can look back to uncover that history so that we can recognize when it's happening in the here and now and help you move through into a new choice so that you're not acting from the past. You're not bringing the past into the present. And if you want to stop bringing the past into the present, you do have to do some digging. You got to look at 
look back and say, where did I learn that having a certain body type is bad? Who in my life reinforced that for me? What did I learn about making certain food choices or eating freely in front of people? What did I learn about how to deal with emotions? Was it ever safe to express my emotions? What did I learn about sharing what's going well and my successes? So taking a look at your shame history is really important in doing some of the untangling work. There are a few different types of messages that we receive. There are messages about you, right? Like you're irresponsible, you're lazy, what's wrong with you? You're so weird, you're so annoying. There are also the he and she messages, right? Where you hear people talking about somebody else who has similar challenges, you know, like, oh, Sally, have you seen that she gained weight? I can't believe how much she gained. Those sorts of judgy statements that we overhear about other people. And then we have a lot of messages absorbed from institutions and the media around us. And, you know, we're still working through that as a society in terms of what body expectations are and trying to have no body expectations. And that is shifting over time. But there are still so many messages that women should look a certain way. And now it's like, oh, you should be strong and athletic and toned and have a big butt and you should be walking 10,000 steps a day. And when you've been trying your whole life to meet these expectations... You really can't do anything more than you've already done to try to get there. You've already done it all. There's not more to do. And so looking at, you know, where did I get some of these messages about who I'm supposed to be as a human being, but also as a woman too, what messages did I get about being good enough? And how is this internalized fat phobia impacting my life? And how can I start to break some of those chains? But first, you really have to do the dig. Then you move into a bit of a harder part. And I love what Joseph Campbell says about the hero's journey. He talks about the fact that we need to sort of go through the dark place to come out on the other side, that we all have a journey and we are the heroes of our own lives. And I love this quote, we must let go of the life we have planned so as to accept the one waiting for us. You didn't plan to end up binge eating. And I'm pretty sure you've tried a lot of different ways to not engage in this behavior or make it seem like you don't experience it, but you do. And it's probably not going to go away with the ways that you've been trying. So how do you work with it? You move into acceptance. Acceptance is the willingness to experience reality as is. It's not resignation. It's not relinquishing control. It's not carelessness. It's not giving up and saying, hey, I don't need to do this work. I don't need to deal with it. It's not that, right? It's just respecting our reality as it is and saying, hey, this is true for me. And moreover, I am trying to heal myself. And the more that we battle with what's true for us, that you're not meant to operate within diet culture and all the rules and restrictions, the more we try to fit ourselves into boxes that are not meant for us, then the less successful we are and the worse the issue becomes. So the first thing we do to break this shame spiral is awareness, to notice triggers, right? Notice your shame triggers and anticipate them as much as possible. The what, when, where, why, and practice coping ahead. And what I mean by that is imagining in your mind what it would look like to deal with the situation if you were living in that life of food freedom. What does that look like for you? And in big letters, slow it down. (laughs) So when you're in the moment, you're having that shame spiral, start to slow it down. The next thing you could do is label it. There's a lot of research on labeling emotions. When we identify the emotion and when we call it what it is and give it a name, we actually reduce its intensity and improve our coping. And also be curious. We want to begin to detach from the trigger, from the initial shame, from the story of it, like not good enough, for example. And we begin by creating that distance, by becoming the observer. This is really just mindfulness. It's having a mindful moment, right? When we're mindful, we're able to blend or integrate a logical mind and our emotions. Use the best of both worlds. So I want you to observe your internal thoughts and experiences like what's going on and just pause. Do you feel present? 
Do you feel authentic? Are you feeling small? Are you feeling a very familiar pull of an old story of not being good enough or not being able to ask for help? Notice what's going on because your brain likes to run through things really, really quickly. And so this is actually pretty hard requiring this pause. So noticing what's going on, I'm having a shame spiral and then get curious. What else is happening? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Am I being who I want to be at this moment? And then you have to create space to cope with the feelings. And again, this is hard. It does not happen seamlessly. The emotional brain really wants to take over. And so we have to start with taking care of ourselves before we can make new decisions or choices within a situation. Oftentimes this looks like I'm feeling a shame spiral. I'm having the thought that I'm not good enough. Let's take a break. You know, go for a walk, take some time, tell whoever you're talking to that you'll catch up later. Even just take a bathroom break. Create some space so you can spend some time actively with your emotional mind. When you're flooded, you got to seek higher ground because you literally cannot apply reason and make balanced decisions when you're emotionally flooded. The resources in your brain and your body are all piled into emotion. And so your frontal lobe where your executive functioning lies, where your decision making lies, it's not getting what it needs. It needs to create time and space and then go through some motions of coping. So using your five senses, take a step outside, label the items around you. You know, I see a park bench, a tree, list five things. See if you can hear every single sound. Notice what you can hear, like children, cars, use your senses to get into the moment. Another idea would be to list five things, right? One thing you can see, smell, hear, feel, and taste, maybe if you have a cup of tea or something, you know, and to be mindful, to come back into the present and to ground yourself, to use your senses to do so. This is about moving out of the emotional flooding. This is taking care of your emotional brain when you're in the middle of a shame spiral, so you can actually act different in a minute. And then you choose intentional action and moving from reacting to responding, but not just responding based on what you think should happen or what other people think should happen. I want you to respond from a place of being intentional from your own values when doing things for other people, right? Otherwise, we're just appeasing. And then we're not dealing with our shame. We're not dealing with our authenticity very well. And so in any given situation, let's say your spouse said something that maybe triggered a shame spiral and you take your break you know, you get your space, you notice what's going on when you take your break, and then you get to ask, how do I want to respond with that person? You might feel comfortable stepping into a bit more vulnerability because it's your partner versus if it was like your coworker or something, but you get to decide, you know, how much do I want to reveal? Sometimes the answer is you don't want to at all. The answer is retreat and that's okay too. But when we have the opportunity to deal with things a little bit differently by leaning in rather than running away, Maybe asking yourself, what would my old response pattern be and what do I want the new one to be? What do I need to do right now in order to do that? And what am I willing to do differently at this moment? Maybe you don't want to have a hard conversation you want to avoid, like, you know, calling that friend back and you've been putting them off for three weeks because the anxiety that it produces to have that conversation. But is that you moving to a higher ground truly? Is that you moving closer to resilience or connection or is it further isolating you? Because when you're isolated, you're more likely to go to some of those coping mechanisms with food and emotional overeating. So this is what I was saying before, that we have to also go to the root. If we're not healing our relationships in these places of shame and we're not doing the work there, it's going to continue to leak and impact our relationship with food. And that's why I talk so much about how this is all connected. It's about binge eating and emotional overeating, but it's also about living an intentional life. And then speak up. So as I said before, Women with negative relationships with food struggle a lot with using their voices. And I think that, you know, in our society, we now have more room for women's voices, but we're still trying to navigate how to use them. So state your boundaries, speak up, say it directly, maybe ask yourself, 
How do you ask for help? Do you ask for help when you're feeling guilty? Do you become passive aggressive when you're feeling frustrated and feel shame? How do you deal with hard conversations? Speak directly, move away from sorry. We tend to over apologize. You know, I'll bump into a table and then I'll like say sorry to the table, right? It's just, it's programmed. But in order to feel more confident and more self assured, we have to stop apologizing for every little thing and stop taking responsibility for every single thing that happens wrong in the world. And practicing these small changes in how you communicate, it leads to a feeling of more empowerment. And it also helps interpersonal situations move along in a way that, again, is more intentional and less reactive. And so when we feel shame, we're likely to push away, right? We're likely to shut down our voice, move away from connection. And so in order to make a shift there, we have to practice the opposite directly saying what we need, not over apologizing, owning our story, sharing it with others, setting boundaries. It's okay to do so. It's okay to say no. And it's okay to say yes, right? Women who struggle with body image issues and their relationships with food often pare back their lives and they start saying no to opportunities. They keep the relationships maybe on the periphery and they don't go deeper and say yes to the invitation to hang out with someone new because they're afraid of being seen or of everything that comes with that. It's been said that when you have a relationship with something, you take care of it. And to be in a better relationship with your goals and your dreams and what you want your life to look like, it's to start with having a better relationship with yourself, to treat yourself with compassion, to decide who you want to be today, what do you want to be about today, and to take that next step out of your comfort zone, right, and take some risks for growth. But that has to come from a place of self-compassion rather than self-criticism because we cannot shame and hate ourselves into loving ourselves. We cannot hate our emotional eating or our binge eating or even our bodies and shame ourselves for having it or looking a certain way and then expect ourselves to deal with it well. So developing that core relationship with yourself is so important. You have to ask, what is the most important thing to me in my life? What do I want to be about? You know, when I say yes to this sort of activity, how do I want to feel versus when I say no? Or when I set this boundary, you know, I felt good instead of bad. When I, you know, didn't speak up in the situation, I felt good because I'd actually felt good to do that, right? You have to do some introspection around those sort of experiences and get in touch with your values. The way to release shame is to get clear about who you are, get clear about who you want to be and how you view yourself. And that means to spend some time with yourself, to ask yourself, what brings you joy? What do you like to do? You know, have that conversation with yourself. But it's important to do the work on self-love, self-worth, all these things, self-esteem. It takes work, but it doesn't just come from you reading a bunch of self-help books or even listening to a lot of podcasts. It comes from taking what you learn from them and applying it. And sometimes you need accountability and applying it too. And that is why I am here. I would be honored to support you in helping you apply all of these concepts. This is the work that I absolutely love to do on a daily basis. It's not just about food. It's not just about your body. It's this bigger picture of who you are. You are a whole person and I am here to support you in moving through towards being the person that you want to be. I am currently accepting one-on-one clients, only a select number though, but I will put the link to book a free discovery call with me in the show notes so that you can reach out and we can find a time to chat just you and me and get to know what working together would look like and make sure it's a good fit. So I hope you spend a little bit of time with yourself after this podcast. I hope you get reacquainted with who you are, who you want to become, what you're doing. And I hope you practice that mindfulness exercise I went through as well to get to that place of dealing with that internal shame spiral. 
So again, thank you for joining me in this episode. I hope it helped you understand a little bit more about shame and I hope it helped spur or spark an interest in releasing shame. And I hope you have a really wonderful rest of your week. And as always, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and I will catch you next week. <laughs>